I'm Alexandra Joe, Culture and Content Manager at Parting Stone, and this is the Death Care Decoded Podcast. In this podcast, we explore trends in the death profession, uncovering valuable insights through conversations with industry thought leaders. Our mission is to bring forward-thinking education to death care professionals. This week, we return to our conversation with Jason Engler, Licensed Funeral Director, Cremation Specialist, and Historian, and Director of Customer Experience at UPD Earns, to talk about representations of death care and pop culture. We discuss Jason's path into death care, his personal connection to one death-centric celebrity, and how, when done right, representations of death in pop culture can influence the reality of this professional space through cultivating empathy and shared experiences of grief. You're jumping into a conversation with myself, Justin Crow, founder and CEO at Parting Stone, and Jason Engler. So I kind of like, I'm kind of super interested in the like special thing that you had to talk about. Oh, I guess you haven't seen Facebook. I haven't. Oh, okay. Well, so um, we've talked and we talked in the, in the last conversation about my, um, friend paul bearer Mm -hmm. um and he uh he and i became much closer friends about 2009 when his wife passed away and um one of one of the things along our friendship when i first met him in 98 that's when i first met him but one of the things he gave me along the the time of our friendship was one of his urns that he carried uh to the ring and he actually had that um and he uh, had it, we had it, at, since he passed away, I had it over at the museum. Well, the WWE just announced this, uh, earlier this year, announced this big uh, show that they were working on for A&E called, um, it was originally called Quest for WWE Lost Treasures, something like that. And then since then, it was renamed to WWE's Most Wanted Treasures. And they found out that I had the urn at the museum and they reached out to me. And so the show aired this past Sunday on A&E. So it was a very cool, uh, very cool thing. And it was so hard for me because I couldn't talk about it at all because they, you know, I had NDAs and, you know, threatening, threatening life and limb and, uh, <laughs> et cetera. And so I could, but I could not, I, I, I had, um, I had, Paul Masters review the the contract because that's how that's how intense it was and uh, but no it, it's uh, it was a really really exciting and cool event that they um, we spent in November and it was hard for me to talk about it in December too and it was a little a little less difficult then because there was no direction there was I had no idea when it was going to air and so I ended up um, uh, I ended up finding out earlier this year actually right about the time that you started trying to schedule this with me uh and so it just was like i was like i can't because i can't talk about it and i'm so excited for it and um but yeah so we filmed on it was november 1st at the museum and we filmed for it was 10 hours uh, of filming, of you know, of wow. interviewing, of walking through, of negotiating, of all of these things. So um, their whole plan was to get the urn and put it. Uh, they that's the only I had the only urn that they were missing because they wow. have collected collected all of the others from 
the other people who had them and, or he had them himself. And, uh, so I ended up, uh, they, they talked me out of it. They, they got it from wow. me. So yeah, they, but there's some, some really cool stuff that's going to come of it. Uh, we've got some pretty cool plans, uh, at the museum for something related to Paul Bearer, uh, and that whole, that whole process. So, um, we're, we're planning on an exhibit basically for that. Um, and we've got uh, we've got some stuff happening um, with the WWE with that regard too. And again, I don't know what I'm allowed to talk about now. I mean, it's it's too bad because they aired the show, and I was like, all right, sweet, I can finally talk about it. But then I was like, oh, but they didn't say this, this, or this, and I'm not supposed to talk about anything they didn't talk about. <laughs> so I'm like, oh my gosh. So yeah, um, but the but but the museum part is the museum. It uh, it has nothing to do really with the WWE, um, but that's something that that we're in discussions with it's still got to go before the museum board and and all of those things so um but it's but it's all good it's all exciting that's so cool awesome that, yeah that that's, was, i mean that that's a big, big deal it, it's very cool it, it's it's especially a big deal when it's not like on a you know on a youtube show or you know on yeah. some show on some channel that nobody's ever heard of or some group people no one's ever or some, heard of or whatever some death professional podcast no 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 not that. no those are my those are my those are my thing those are the you know you know how i feel about those i know um, i'm just kidding but but uh when when i found out it was a and e it was like wow this is like this is like a big deal. And, um, but yeah, it was very, it was a very emotional, um, time for me too, because, you know, they had mentioned that they wanted to, they wanted the urn. Um, but I did, I guess it didn't register. It didn't click. And that day when I was there and we started getting into the discussions, it started to become very emotional because that, you know, Paul Bear was my hero and my, my friend and, I just was like, I don't, I don't know if I can give this up. I don't know if it's something that I can, that I can do. So, um, so yeah. So for our listeners who may not be familiar with your path into death care or even who Paul Bearer is, can <laughs> you a do point. a little explanation of oh, who this person is and sure. how they kind of influenced you and in that relationship? Absolutely. So about the time that I got involved uh, and interested in funeral service. Just about a year later, I uh, became interested in professional wrestling, and so that was a really cool, uh, really cool thing for me to see on TV. Paul Bearer and The Undertaker. Um, so rewind a little bit. My 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 dad told me when I like to visit cemeteries. He said, "Jason, you like cemeteries so much. Why don't you become an undertaker?" And so I had to figure out what that was. You know, I had to figure out. Uh, and and so in my in my search for the Undertaker, what an Undertaker was, I found the professional wrestler, the Undertaker. And so um, so I started. You know, uh, at the same time, started watching professional wrestling and uh, seeing the Undertaker and his manager Paul Bearer. And Paul Bearer had the you know the the stereotypical mortician look. You know what you would think of a mortician. You know a short guy with a, you know, heavy set with a, um, he had his face painted white and his eyes painted dark. And, uh, he had jet black hair and a mustache and a black suit and a colorful tie. And he just was, he was, and he carried an urn. And, you know, that was like the epitome of what I thought in my mind, a funeral director would look like. 
and uh, the Undertaker was this big, dark, and stoic hero that you know he was very, uh, um, very inspiring in that way. And so, you know, it was kind of a, a neat thing that whatever was in the urn gave power to the Undertaker to be virtually unstoppable. And so that was the storyline that they that they did and they went for. And so here's all of my worlds just colliding and coming together. You know, you have funeral service and. You have professional wrestling with, you know, handsome dudes and speedos. And then you had over here, and then you had over here, the supernatural aspect of the urn and the undertaker and, you know, how all of this went together and it all went, uh, it was all dark and spooky, but it was, it was a force of good. He was a good guy. And so it was, it was, you know, all of those things were, were very, um, were, were very driving and inspiring for me. And, um, the Undertaker didn't get me interested, and Paul Bear didn't get me interested in funeral service. That's not what did it. But I will say that Paul Bear is the one who gave me um, a glimpse of it on a regular basis. You know, they did stuff. They did stuff that was so, you know, again, the stereotypical thing that you would think a funeral director would do because they gave Paul Bearer, who William Moody, the the man behind Paul Bearer, was a real life mortician. He was a real life funeral director, and he, you know, he knew he knew what to do and he knew what to say. And you know, some of the things that you hear at the beginning, um, and and what's funny about it too, and and this is a side note because it came across for a lot of people as kind of mockery or making fun of of the funeral profession. But there is nobody who loved the profession more than Paul Bearer as, 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 uh, Bill Moody. He was, he was just loved the profession and loved everything about it and taking care of, of loved ones and families and all of those things. So, you know, that was a, a big, um, a big drive for him, but it was his urn that got me interested in urns because I wanted to find one like it. And I just knew I could find one like it. And so I got my first, uh, death care publication. It's somewhere around here. Um, I, in 1994, I was 14 years old and I've just started thumbing through that and finding every urn company I could find. I'd call them and, and try to ask them about the urn and see what, you know, see if they had it. And, um, you know, it, it was, it was like a, it was like a quest. It was a grail quest for me. And, um, uh, eventually I found it, but it was, you know, 10, 15 years later, it wasn't, it wasn't at the, you know, oh, 20, 20 years later. Um, so it was, it wasn't a, it wasn't a thing that really, um, you know, really manifested until much later, uh, that, that part of it. So, but along the way, I learned all sorts of things about urns and, you know, what the, um, what the different types were and, you know, different shapes and different colors and all of those types of things. And, and this was in the nineties when, when urns were something a little newer to funeral directors, because before that they had been, uh, sold through crematories only. And you, you actually got to know Paul Bearer yes, at some point in your life, I did. right? Yeah. What I was, did. what was so, that like? How, what was that story of how that came about? Sure. I was a senior in high school. Um, I worked for the local funeral home, uh, there in, uh, near my hometown. Um, and, I decided since I was going to go to San Antonio College for mortuary school, I decided that I would find a place in San Antonio 
to work at a funeral home. So I went to work for a huge funeral home there in San Antonio, very well-known old, old name uh, in funeral service there. And one day, I don't remember exactly what brought it up. There was um, uh, something happened on wrestling, I'm sure, that, that started it. But um, I got bit by the bug, the wrestling and Paul Bearer bug, especially. And I was like, man, that would be so cool if I could ever meet this guy. And so I happened to be talking to one of the apprentices at the funeral home. And I said, so have you ever met anyone famous? And she was like, no, not really. And she's like, oh, that's not true. Um, my, uh, our, our boss, Martin, is a good friend of some professional wrestling guy that I don't follow it so he wasn't really famous to me and I was like what <laughs> hold, hold on pump the brakes and so sure enough uh our our uh, our boss Martin was still very good friends with Paul Bearer and so I talked to him I was like I, I said you know I, I would love to meet him and and he was like oh absolutely he said you should you know send him a letter or something and um and so I did. So I sat down and that was back when people wrote letters and mailed them. I don't know if either of you remember those days or not. <laughs> I think y'all are, y'all are a little young for that, but, um, but I, I, I did, I, I sat down and I wrote him a letter and he, um, on my birthday, uh, my 18th birthday, an envelope came in the mail, uh, that was from him and he had responded to me. And so, uh, it, and it wasn't, it was, he didn't know when my birthday was, it just happened that that's when it, that's when it was. Um, but, uh, so, so he came to town, we, we got to hang out, spend, spend some time together. And then we kept in touch for, you know, the next 15 years, um, or the next 10 years, I guess. I have trouble with math. Um, <laughs> uh, for, for, for the next decade, we kept in touch and, uh, very regularly. And then after his, his wife passed away, we became, um, much closer friends. And because he, you know, he relied then on his friends a lot because he had, you know, has his local family and obviously they're closest can be, but especially his friends who, you know, he could reach out to and, and connect with. And he had friends all over the world. And I was lucky enough to be just one of those friends. And it, you know, it really meant a lot to me that I was able to completely be myself around him and be able to, um, be able to just joke and laugh. And, and, um, and he was, he was, he was uncle Paul is what I called him. And, um, he, he was just uncle Paul. It wasn't, he wasn't this always just to me, he was this still this bigger than life character because that was his personality, but he wasn't that to me, he was a friend. So, um, it's, it's hard to, hard to explain that hard to put that into words, but yeah. So yeah, we became, became uh, very close friends then and, and spoke very, very regularly, if not, uh, some weeks, you know, it'd be every day uh, that we would talk. Wow. And you, you eventually received one of Paul Bear's urns, yes. correct? Like how, yes. how did that happen? Okay. So let's rewind a little bit. I got the letter from, from Paul Bear and he said that he would be uh, coming through Texas again in June of that year. That was about a little over a month away from that time. And that, um, that, you know, he told me where all the different places that he was going to be. And then he told me, um, 
that uh, that he wanted to, he said, you know, clear your calendar because you're going to have two tickets waiting for you uh, at the we'll call box office to go see the event. And, you know, so so it was, you know, it was already getting to be this this hype thing. And so that Monday night for Monday Night Raw, I went and saw Monday Night Raw, uh, the guest of Paul Bearer. And, you know, we sat kind of on the on the side of uh, my friend Keith and I went and um, you know, it was very different seeing the show from, from that aspect. The seats weren't any better than I, than I would have been able to, to buy, but I could look around at all these other fans and Paul Bear didn't give them tickets, you know? And so, you know, as a, as a, as an 18 year old kid, that was like a, that was a big thing for me. You know? Um, so we, um, we ended up, uh, um, you know, we went to the show, we had a great time. And then later in the week I was at work and we had had this huge rosary in the chapel, uh, at the funeral home. And, um, the night was winding down. It was, it was almost 10 o'clock. The funeral home there actually closed at 10 o'clock. Um, and it was almost 10 o'clock and the phone rang and it was my boss, Martin. And I'd had a not so pleasant experience with him shortly, you know, a few, a few days before, Um, because I don't, as you can see, you know, I don't like to shave. And one of the regulations of that funeral home was you have to shave every day. And I would squeeze by as often as I could with not shaving. And plus I needed to grow as much as I could my Paul Bearer mustache without, you know, without it being, without it, without having to shave it off, you know, but of course it never got dark enough to, to pay any attention, but, um. So, so I was like, oh my gosh, he's, you know, he's here and he's going to fire me. It's the end of the night. I've, you know, I was like, uh, oh, I shaved, so I should be okay. But he's like, is there, is there anybody here? He called from the flower room and, uh, which is in the back of the funeral home. And he says, is there anybody here? And I said, um, no, not really. You know, everyone's pretty well gone. Well, no, is there anybody here at all? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, there's some people still in the chapel, but there's only, you know, only the family, only a dozen people or so. And he's like, okay, um, why don't you come meet me in the lounge? And I was like, oh crap, here it goes. And so I went up to the lounge and he came in and, um, was like, he's like, uh, so how was the visitation night? Cause it was a, it was a very well-known person's daughter, uh, that had, had died. Um, how was the visitation night and the rosary? And it, was, it was all great. You know, I'm getting more nervous because he's making small talk, you know, and, um, he said, oh, well, that's, that's, uh, that's good. You know, it's going to be a big service tomorrow. Just, you know, this weird stuff. I was like, so what's going on? He's like, oh, um, um, nothing. Everything's, everything's cool. And I was like, what's happening? And about that time, the door opposite where I had come in opened and this guy walked in and I was like, I don't know who that, you know, it was kind of took me off guard. And I looked at Martin because I said, you know, I was like, is this guy with you? And, uh, but behind him was somebody that I knew and that was Paul Bearer. And he came walking into the, into the lounge and he just, just started. I was speechless. I was honestly, I was absolutely speechless. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. I was just, you know, flabbergasted, floored. And, uh, he came in and, um, we, uh, we just sat down and Martin was like, Jason, you better start talking or he's going to start making fun of you. And I was like, I, I just, I'm overwhelmed, you know? Anyway. So, um, the, he's, he stuck around there for 
gosh, it was probably 1 a.m. by the time he finally left. But I didn't have a camera. I wasn't expecting him to come by. And so I went to this janky, sketchy gas station that was like around the corner from the funeral home and bought one of those little Fujifilm disposable cameras again. Uh way before your time probably but no i love um, those things <laughs> so yeah so i i bought one of those i don't know it's probably like 18 dollars or something for a 30 24 shot uh, roll of yep. film and camera because it was you know a convenience store um so yeah i i bought the camera and i came back and um spent the evening we walked around the funeral home and took pictures in different places and uh talked and it was just a it was so much fun and he said, oh, I have something for you. And um, he came back a few minutes later with a velvet bag. And uh, in the velvet bag was the urn. And I was like, what do you mean you have this for me? He said, "He said, yeah, this is, you know, this is for you. It's, um, it's, it's something that I, I feel like you should have. And I was like, yeah. So, so it was, a, it was cha- absolutely changed my entire life. Um, you know, the way that I, the way that I felt about him, the way that I felt about, um, the profession, everything, all of those things. So it was all, it was all good stuff. So yeah, that was, that was how I became the, um, the, the benefactor of, of one of the (laughs) official urns carried by Paul Bearer. Wow. And this is such a cool story to think about as someone who, I'm someone who found my way into death care through like personal experiences with loss and like negative experiences with funeral homes and, and death and arrangements and wanting to change the conversation and change the con, you know, the, the social norm around talking about death and thinking about someone who had this like wonderful, positive experience with death care and with, um, this profession and how like a celebrity figure could mm-hmm. influence someone's entire career path is, yeah. is so wonderful. And I'm just trying to think like, I, I've never been that in touch with wrestling. Right. But I remember <laughs> it from the nineties when I was little, like WWE, WWF, like all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right. Like, uh-huh. yeah. like, so who today is the celebrity who's like influencing people to be a funeral director? Does that even exist today? I like, don't think so. Is it I don't, memes not, not in the way. It's Facebook. I'll tell you like, who it is. What it's is Caitlin it freaking Dowdy. That's yeah. who it is. It's Caitlin yeah, Dowdy. Totally. It's, that, that, <laughs> that's who it that's is. That's true. It's, that's it is absolutely true. And as it's, the proud it's, owner of smoke gets in your eyes, like <sighs> I can attest that that's probably that's true. That's who it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I'm in a terrible spot. Okay. I'm about <sighs> next week. I'll be 41. And I am, I am, I started early enough in the nineties that I'm a little bit old school and you know, the, the, the tide didn't start to change in funeral service until probably 2005 when things started, you know, the internet started to get bigger and bigger and, you know, just, it was, it's like, it's like, I'm in this, this terrible space. It's like being a, being between a millennial and a, and a Gen X and, Mm -hmm. you know, and, or is that what we are? Gen X? I don't. See, I don't yeah. even know. It's like some. It's like being in this terrible purgatory where I love the old school stuff, but I appreciate and understand the new school ideas. And I'm. I. It's so funny because there are some things that it's old school all the way for me, but then there are other things that it's. This is great. I love this, and it's a brand new idea. Uh, you know, it's 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 a fascinating thing to 
you know, to, to see and to think about that I can, I can see the best of both worlds, you know? Um, and, yeah. and to, to be fair, you know, someone like Paul Bear was a, and much like Caitlin Dowdy, you know, it was, it was entertainment. You know, she's, she does it. She doesn't do it. She doesn't care about informing people necessarily. That may be a, a byproduct of what she does in my opinion. Um, but, she she likes the the you know the story she likes the the um the idea of of you know bam here it is it's entertainment for a lot of people they look at it as entertainment and it's the same kind of thing for me with paul bear um you know he was the he was the spooky kooky kind of sort of side of funeral service and you know everybody knows that's you know that's not what funeral service is about or wasn't then. Um, but for, for me at the time, that was kind of an escape to be, you know, perpetual Halloween, um, where, where, uh, in, in general, the, the driving purposes and desires to be a funeral director have nothing to do with those spooky kooky things. You know, it's all about the reward of taking care of people. And so, um, so it's, it's, again, it's that interesting dichotomy of, of old school, new school that you can really, uh, relate to and identify with, but same thing with Caitlin Dowdy. I mean, she's a, she's entertainment and people, yeah. people do. I that. mean, I think, I think maybe that's how it started for her too. I think that it's, she released a really wonderful video about the need for support during COVID for, mm-hmm. A funeral directors that that did seem a very yeah. much about just educating the public but i'll tell you what she i met her at a convention um i i was i was introduced to her and i found her to be one of the the nicest warmest people that i've that i've met in funeral service and it's funny because there's so many people in funeral service who are like oh caitlin dowdy bye you know mm-hmm. and and i'm that way with some of her stuff too because it's like calm down you know they don't they don't need to hear all of the details i mean maybe some people want to hear the details but then they hear them and it's like oh whoops i wish i wouldn't heard that you know yeah so um so so that but but as a as a person i i do i like her and um she's very very um very warm and very kind and i and i think she has a she has a a good heart but it's entertainment You know, it's like, uh, yeah, no, it is. I mean, the character, those are, you know, those are bestseller books. And mm-hmm. yeah, her YouTube series there, yep. it's very like a yep. clear aesthetic. And yeah. I don't, I think that that's great because maybe it is getting more people interested in mm-hmm. this service. And, you know, I didn't consider this to be a career option growing up. And I was someone who was obsessed with the band, the misfits, right. Mm-hmm. And read Sylvia Plath poetry and Edgar mm-hmm. Allan Poe and wanted the perpetual Halloween too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then also there was so an you were HBO... goth is what we're saying. Was, I mean... I don't, see, I don't know your ages, so I don't punk know how to goth. relate y'all to this. Okay. Punk goth. Okay. That, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm 33 now. So, okay, okay. you know, I grew up in like the two thousands. Yeah. Yes. Um, it. Justin, in the 90s. I don't even remember. I'm I'm 32. I'll be 33 okay. in okay. June. All right. We are both 88 babies. So yes. uh, we are. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I just had a birthday. But when anyway, was your birthday? April 15th 
Oh my God, you're an Aries? I'm a triple I Aries. I didn't get that at <laughs> all from you. I don't, I usually have trouble with Aries and I don't know why because. I, well, okay. So we're, this is a total like left turn. I will bring it back around. I promise. But um, <laughs> Justin a... with me is used to this. <laughs> I'm a... How many discussions have we had about this? <laughs> oh, so many. So I know. Long. I mean, we've been friends for so long. Like before I was going out with Laura, I would uh-huh. text you like, hey, it's I'm like, going out with this. Hey, girl like this is this is the month she was born like (laughs) (laughs) call me now madam cleo (laughs) (laughs) oh y'all probably don't know what that is either Yeah. <laughs> oh, we know Cleo. We know oh, Miss okay, yeah, okay, Cleo. Of course we know Miss Cleo. Of course yeah, we know Miss Cleo. Okay, yeah. okay, good. <laughs> so anyway, back to Yeah, yeah, pull reality. it back in. <laughs> I just, you know, thinking about um yeah, like the way that death is portrayed in pop culture having these big effects on the conversation around death in society. I remember being in college and finding the show Six Feet Under and just I was obsessed it was like a year after my mom had passed away and I found this show on like my grandparents HBO subscription and was like what is this and this is back when Netflix was still like a disc ordering service and so I saw this one random episode and was just like I have to know more and ordered all the discs on my Netflix service in college And it was at the same time, like, I was reading for a literature class, As I Lay Dying, by William Faulkner. And, like, it was honestly really therapeutic for me as a a young person who was dealing with extreme trauma and loss and grief. Pop culture and the way that death was talked about in pop culture was a huge balm for me, you know? And and I think that Mm -hmm. it... As an art major, it affected the work I was doing. I started kind of working through my my grief in my visual art. Um, another one that comes to mind is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I recently rewatched yeah, that course. show. Yeah. yeah, no, Buffy with Sarah Michelle yeah. Gellar, the show. Same, like, Joss Whedon does such a great job mm-hmm. of addressing the weight of death and the reality of death. And, you know, mm-hmm. I rewatched it as an adult, like, a couple of months ago and was just like, wow, they do such a good job talking about this and normalizing the conversation yeah. around it. I think it's pretty important to to have these conversations in entertainment and in pop culture and I've never really, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but I've never really made the connection between the profession and the way it's portrayed in pop mm-hmm. culture um, and how that could influence someone to come into this career. It, and it can't, well, as a, as a, it can influence on, you know, the way people perceive death care as well. And, you know, the, I mean, how many times have you heard that funeral directors are, you know, a bunch of crooks because they saw a news article on 2020 about it, you know, or 60 minutes or whatever. And it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a different, uh, different kind of, kind of spin on, you know, the one, the, the bad seed. And yeah, it's a, it's a tough, um, it's a tough balance to be able to portray it in a positive way without being hokey mm-hmm. and corny um, while maintaining reverence. Because when death happens, it is so, it is so individual and it depends on who you are and where you are as to the experiences that you have with death. And, and the way that you have those experiences have to do a lot of times with your wiring, your the way you're, you know, the way you see the world, the way you experience the world. And 
especially too, you have an idea of what happens when you see something on television. Uh, when you see, you know, the way that the way that death happens on television, it doesn't look like that in real life. It's a little more realistic now than it ever has been um, on some things, but still the sights and the smells and the sounds and all of the things that go along with it are still very, very different than what you see. It's like TV. birth. It's like and birth depiction on absolutely. TV. It's the same. It's the same thing. It yeah. It's like, oh, magically, here's, here's a 10 this month baby, old baby you know, who's very clean. It's a 10 month old baby for you with a head full of hair and no umbilical exactly. cord. Very, yeah. very clean. No blood. Yeah. Yeah. No blood, no placenta. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> that's a weird that's a word. Great word. Yeah. That is that is that is that is one of my my hair guy and I were talking today about weird words, and he said shampoo. Uh -huh. Shampoo is a uh -huh. weird word. Of course, there he's a hair go. guy. Yeah. So I mean, he probably thinks about that all day long. Um, probably. He probably does. <laughs> probably does. Um, but but yeah so so that's the you know that's the the important part too is that you know realizing in my opinion realizing what um you know what the public thinks of funeral service and the funeral profession is important on how we can address mm -hmm. the public and as funeral professionals so um so yeah. and i think one thing too i want to bring up that we haven't touched on is the television sh reality shows that have come out in the last few mm -hmm. years and the two that I know are the the Casketeers and Buried with the Bernards. And uh, I have not heard. Okay, of I watched all four seasons of I'm... Casketeers at one point, and Buried with the Bernards is is pretty new. I think it just came out. And they're they're both people love this what I call behind the curtain death entertainment. Like we we yeah. there's such a curiosity there and. Um, for a long time, and 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 I think still in a lot of ways, death care businesses and professionals work to um, not hide it, but definitely like if you don't want to see it or hear about it or acknowledge it, we've put a wall up so you don't have to. Um, and I think previously it was very much like we do not tell you about this and you do not find out. And I think it's changing a little bit. Um, but I think, I think death content in general, Caitlin Doty, Casketeers, like Netflix, um, Paul Bearer and like carrying an urn. I think there's all of that has some element of like a behind the curtain voyeuristic curiosity about, about what happens in this, in this space and who are these people who want to do this every day. Right. And yeah, I could see that. I could see that being, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, an avenue for people to learn more and see more. Um, I'm still very particular about, you know, the way that I portray death care and how I feel about it. And, um, and that's, again, that's that old school. When I, when I first started in the, in the profession, it was like becoming a Mason, you know, you had to know someone and, you know, and they had to invite you in and um, it just, I don't know. It's a, again, that, it's important to me and it's important to most professionals who are my age, probably and, and thereabouts. Um, it's important to understand and realize the reality of it because it sounds interesting and it sounds neat and it sounds spooky and kooky. And, you know, it's, it's fascinating to think of, you know, to think of 
dissecting a body or opening up and learning more about the human body. And you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to think of, of all of that. And, and how many times have, have I seen, uh, you know, a young person in mortuary school who comes into the funeral home for a day uh, to, to shadow and you never see them again because it wasn't what they thought. It wasn't there. And it's not because of the way they were treated, but it's that it's, it's not, you know, dressing in a nice car and, you know, getting to be elbows deep in a, in a cool body. It's, you know, there's a lot more to it when you've got all the other, all the other aspects coming at you for the same thing. And do you think people interested in becoming death care professionals, do you think they have to go through all, all of that training and get the apprenticeship and get to that embalming room and then like see the body to realize that? Or do you think there's a path to discover what it is and if it's right for you before all that? Yeah, I think that I think that the that modern mortuary schools now, funeral science schools are really going above and beyond to be able to have people have some sort of experience with it before you know, before they dive headlong into a program. Um, and mortuary schools have done that f always, you know, at 22 years, 23 years ago when I went, it was that, it was the same thing. And, you know, you have this, um, you, you have this, this thought when you go into it of what it's going to look like and what it's going to be like. And then you get face to face with it and it changes your entire perception of it. And I mean, the, the, the grief that's accompanied with the, you know, with the going to a scene of death and the, the experience that that brings and the, or the carnage or the, the fear, and then meeting with the family and going through, you know, having to, to sit and, and listen to, a mother wail or a, a, a child, you know, grieve their parent or any of those things. It just, it, it changes your thought of what this could be like. And, um, and you do it every day, you know, and now come back tomorrow and do the very same thing again, you know, with a different family, with a different situation. And th that's a, that's a constant barrage of, of grief. And it's, it's important that students get exposed to that so that they can understand that this isn't, you know, dressing in a suit, driving a Cadillac, you know, getting to pick up bodies and getting to see dead bodies. And it's not, it's not what it is. It's none of those things that may be a, this part of it, but it's nothing more. Well, than and that. I think that that part, like the family part, the grief part that I think is underrepresented in pop culture maybe because because no one wants to think right. about grief no one wants i think to talk a few reasons grief. yeah like i mean yeah maybe because it's who sad does? and you don't want to see the funny funeral director like with a wailing mother um also i think it's harder because the wailing mother isn't gonna sign a video release to let her be on a reality show when her child died right. you know um and some of that was portrayed in Six Feet Under, and I will say that they, you know, there were some things that they did a, an interesting job of, of portraying that. But they had funeral professionals on site um, that that weren't just there for the entertainment purpose or the dollar purpose. Um, they were they were part of the part of yep, the show. Yeah, that's what I was about to say too. I'm actually revisiting that show right now um, as I'm like learning more. I, I've nice. been thinking about like. I wonder what my perspective of this is as I'm learning more about the actual profession, and it seems to be like pretty like as much as an hbo show and like the glamour can be like a pretty good 
representation of it. I mean, showing difficult restorations, like pretty graphically showing true, yeah. like different. It's a lot of oh, drama. So much drama. A lot right? of drama. I mean, trust me, trust me. There's a lot of drama <laughs> right. for funeral directors. Funeral directors have a lot of drama, it's but a, well, it's but a lot they show of drama in many different ways. Right. Like they have all these individual characters going through grief in their own way and showing how different people process it in real ways. And that, I think, is what was good for me as a grieving youth to see reflected in some kind of like, oh, other this is this is other people experience this every day. You know, I'm not alone in this. And and the same thing goes for one episode of Buffy. I don't want to spoil anything. I guess it was a show in the 90s, so I'm not really spoiling anything for anyone. But like there there are two big i guess three technically big character deaths and the way that the deaths are like the way they happen very suddenly unexpectedly um the way that the rest of the characters around those people they're close to and that they love react is done and portrayed Mm -hmm. so realistically and it they don't shy away from the hard conversations and they don't shy away from um talking about yeah just the the real nitty gritty of loss like i i respect that a lot when when someone is able to in pop culture say this is hard we can talk about it we can do hard things and you know it's normal to go through things like this without it being the equivalent of the 10 month old clean baby in a birth scene right like Mm -hmm. i i i really appreciate and respect that Mm -hmm. so and and that's that's the that's the important part is finding that again finding that balance um and there there's a there's a saying that i that i heard a long time ago that that love puts an end i'm sorry death puts an end to hate but it doesn't put an end to love and because death puts an end to hate and but it doesn't put an end to love we are afraid to experience losing a loved one because that love Mm -hmm. still goes on um it's like a it's like a terrible uh you know relationship that you didn't want to see end or a pet passing Mm -hmm. away or any of those things that love can often go on for one individual and there's nothing that can be done to to fix that love hate goes away Mm -hmm. quickly because you know you've you're not supposed to think ill of the dead and sometimes you know you 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 don't hate but you can still dislike (laughs) i think but um, but, but that, that's the truth is we never want to experience that. We don't want to think of ourselves going mm-hmm. through it. And so we don't want to see it portrayed uh, a lot of times of people going through it because then that mm-hmm. takes us there. That puts us in that spot because that's what television is. It's meant to relate mm-hmm. to people and, and to entertain people. And that's the same. That's exactly what the, what the situation is in, in my opinion with the portrayal mm-hmm. of grief. Yeah. But when you do see it, yeah, I, I don't know. At least for me, it was it was so yeah, helpful. Yeah, oh, no, and that's that's the yeah. thing is 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 being able to being able to portray mm-hmm. it correctly is what I what Absolutely. I was what I was getting to on that. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Jason. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely, it's been a joy being here again with y'all and having a visit. This production is brought to you by Parting Stone, who wants to remind you that when your families choose cremation, they don't have to receive cremated remains.